The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find more information about Jason at www.jasonderoshi.com. Open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 52. In our journey through Isaiah, we're focusing on the high points that address good news. So I've called this Celebrating the Servant Savior, the Gospel, or the Good News of Isaiah. And Isaiah's good news for his day was a good news of hope. It looked ahead to something he wasn't experiencing, his people weren't experiencing. He was living in a context of deep sin. He witnessed the fall of the northern kingdom because of sin, God's curse on the ten tribes in the north. And Judah was not much different. And Isaiah anticipated that Judah itself would fall, but God's curse would not be the final word. Isaiah 52. This is the... Second time we have seen the word good news. And Isaiah is the prophet. He's the first person in the Old Testament to use the language of gospel, good news, for the day when the one that we know of as Jesus would show up. So look for it as we read through our passage. Isaiah 52, verse 1. Awake, awake, put on strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. So you have the bride of God, Jerusalem, being fully cleansed and redressed in her bridely garments, in her priestly Garments ready to enjoy fellowship with the great King, the Lord Himself. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Once in prison because of sin, now free. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. They can't pay to get out of prison, and God won't pay money to get them out, though it will be a very costly redemption. And we'll read about that at the end of this chapter and into Isaiah 53, the cost for God to redeem a people. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. So they're back in Egypt. They need an exodus. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord. And continually, all the day, my name is despised. You are Yahweh's people, and yet you were taken out of His land? How is this be? Either God wasn't strong enough to keep you there, or He didn't love you enough to keep you there. That's what the... Nations are saying, and God's name is despised. And so He will act for the sake of His name. We call it the new covenant. A second exodus, where He works on behalf of His name, yet His his passion for His own glory is not separate from His love from those He's seeking. He will get glory through a new transformed bride. Verse 6, therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. In that day God will show up and begin to speak. And all of a sudden there's going to be a people who can respond. In Isaiah's day, ears that don't hear, eyes that don't see, but now being able to have something, some, their spiritual disability overcome, and God will speak, and they're going to be listening to Him. 
And then we read this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. I grew up singing, does anybody know this song? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him. You know that one? Who brings good news, good news, announcing what? Peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns, our God reigns. Good news. It's going to be proclaimed, and we need to focus in here. We, we've heard that, that. What's it proclaiming? The voice of your watchman. They've heard the messenger, and now the watchmen awake. They lift up their voices after the messenger has proclaimed. Who is he? Who is the one who's speaking and people are hearing? The watchmen are there. They, they hear the messenger. Your God reigns. And now they begin to lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of Yahweh to Zion. So they begin to sing. And I think verses 9 through 12 are the nature of their song. And they say two different things. One, they begin to tell those around them, break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has barred His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Second thing that they proclaim. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, as if they're priests on a priestly mission. For you shall not go out in haste, in contrast to the first exodus. You won't go out in haste, and you will not go out in flight. Because there's no more Pharaoh chasing you. He's already been destroyed. For the Lord God will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Isaiah 52, 1-12. Let's just pray one more time, and then get in. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And we're asking, Lord, that as we meditate on the anticipations of the gospel here in Isaiah, that you would powerfully, you who are stronger, would work salvation in this room. Definitively reconciling those who have not yet been reconciled, those who are still under your wrath, moving them, to become your children. Those who have been reconciled and yet, as all Christians, continue to battle against sin, doubt, bitterness, self-indulgence, racism, prejudice, Bitterness, laziness, lack of self-control. Save us from such things through the power of the gospel. And then, Lord, may every person in here be able to hope in the fact that you will save us. We long for that day when death will be no more and the curse will be overcome in a way that we can't see it anymore. And all will be well. And we will be able to testify completely it is well with our souls.
Meet us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to remind you, my wife reminded me, so I remind you that DeRoshi can get to talking. And so just raise up that hand boldly, and I will pause, if I am able, and call on you. So, John, I'm giving you complete freedom to... You're ready? Good, good. All right. So last week we got to verse 6. Oh no. Calling an audible. There we go. So, we, we got to verse 6. In verse 1, he talks to Jerusalem in the third feminine singular, to her, to the city, the bride of God, calling her to wake up, to strengthen herself, and to get dressed in the garments of a bride and the garments of a priest. Today, we see the rest, and, and I've reworked the text as I move through it more. God's call for Jerusalem to just get out of her bonds. So we read, shake off the dust, sit down, and loose the bonds from your neck. You're free. Why? Because our God reigns. And He's come in and moved into this prison cell and loosed loosed the chains. You were sold into oppression, an echo of the first exodus, then an echo of the new, sorry, an echo of the first experience in Egypt from which God brought them out. And now Assyria oppressing the northern kingdom. They need to be free, but they're there because of sin. There's deeper things at work. And so God declares they will be redeemed and they will know His name. To get a glimpse of the one who says, Yahweh, Yahweh, comma, no verbs, a God. So as if He's unpacking the very nature of who He is, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. To know His name in that way. To be able to meet a God who's able to overcome sin. He can't do it cheaply. He can't do it easily. It comes at great cost because He's a just judge. Human sin demands humans to be punished. And yet He'll send a substitute to stick in the place. And people will all of a sudden move and encounter Him, not only as a God of justice, but as a God of mercy. They will know His name. And then it says, in that day, at the end of verse 6, they shall know that it's I who speak. So the call is given. Get dressed. Take off the bonds. Why should you? Because God is making a way for you to know Him. And now, He begins to unpack these, what I think are reflections, a commentary on this encounter with knowing Him. And He begins to just lay it out for us, and that's what we're going to look at here. A commentary on God's making Himself known. So right off the bat, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. Now, elsewhere we see this, a text where this very um, form of good news shows up, and it shows up in the context of a messenger on the sprint out of the woods, away from the battle, after Absalom, David's son, has been killed, The messenger thinks that's good news. David's not going to think it's good news. But the messenger runs, and this is what we read. The watchman, 
who's looking from above, David's waiting at the gate, the watchman's looking from above, and he sees someone across the field running. And David's been waiting because he didn't go to battle. He's too old. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first person, there's two people side by side, the first one is Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, oh, he's a good man, and he comes with good news. So picture here, and this is how we see this language of good news show up elsewhere as well. It's in the context of there's been a battle fought, and good news comes in order to give clarity. The oppression has been put down. The resistance is is overturned. It's good news. And if you're the one who's been under the oppression, or if you happen to be the one who's sitting in the prison, or you're the one who's been waiting to hear, is it cancer or isn't it cancer? And then the voice speaks, and you hear that it's not all that you thought it could have been, or that the... the, strong man has been overcome, or that the enemies have been put down, or that all of a sudden, you mean it, I can go free? Then you get a sense it's good news. Now, in Isaiah, he's gone out of his way so far to give clarity to the bad news. So let's just refresh this a little bit. I'm just going to read a few texts. I'm going to start in Isaiah 1. Why will you be, sorry, ah, sinful nation. He's talking to Judah. A people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. Rather than being with God, they've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Will you be struck down? Will you continue to rebel? Though your, your whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of your foot, even to the top of your head, there is no soundness in it. They have a problem. They need a healer. All that I find are bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Oh, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was once full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now it's full of murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels Companions of thieves, everyone loves a bribe, everyone runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless. The widow's cause does not come to them. That is his audience. But it's not just a problem with his audience. It's bigger than that, as we saw in Isaiah 24. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth... Even they languish. Why? Because they can't get away from the wrath of God, who's over all things. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. Why? Because they've transgressed His laws. They've violated His statutes. They've broken the everlasting covenant. That's why a curse devours the earth. More against Israel. The end of Isaiah 42. Hear you deaf, look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant nation? Or deaf is my messenger whom I send? Who's blind is my dedicated one? Or blind is the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but he doesn't observe them. His ears are open but he doesn't hear The Lord was pleased for His righteousness' sake to magnify His law, to make it glorious. But this people plundered and looted. This people is plundered and looted. They're all of them trapped in holes, hidden in prisons. They've become plunder with none to rescue. 
Spoil with none to say, restore. Notice how he started. They're, they have ears but can't hear. They have eyes but can't see. So he's talking about a spiritual prison, imprisonment. He's not talking about physical imprisonment here. He seems to be talking about something that's much deeper than that. And so when the comfort comes, we have to think this isn't just temporal, this is about eternal restoration, eternal freedom, eternal hope. That your God reigns is not just, I've been set free from Seven years in prison, I've been set free from an eternity of separation from the living God in whose presence is fullness of joy and at whose right hand is pleasure forevermore. I've been set free from that separation. I can actually have relationship with Him. What was at stake was sin. What is sin? It is the glory of God, not honored. It's the holiness of God, not reverenced. The greatness of God, not admired. The power of God, not praised. The truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God, not savored. The faithfulness of God, not trusted. The commandments of God, not obeyed. The justice of God, not respected. The wrath of God, not feared. The grace of God, not cherished. The presence of God, not prized. The person of God, not loved. That is sin. It was also Pastor John's words, not Deroshi's. Sin is what keeps us from God, and the wages of sin is death. And that is weighty. Feel the weightiness of an eternal suffering. And then you see the messenger. And how lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who enters in and brings good news. Announcing peace between you and the Creator of the universe. Proclaiming words of of happiness. Our God reigns. He's overcome the biggest enemy. And He wants relationship with you. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember this text. On this mountain, the future Zion, the mountain of the Lord of armies, that's what hosts is there, the Lord of armies, and His armies are bigger than anything Satan can bring. Remember that vision of Elisha and his servant. And Elisha prayed, O God, let my servant's eyes be opened that he might see that there are more with us than there are with the Syrians. And all of a sudden, God opened up his eyes and the the hills were filled with flaming chariots. He had eyes to see the host of heaven. Our God is greater. On the mountain of the Lord of hosts, The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, not just for a people, for all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. No one can get away from it. What is this shadow? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. He has come for us. We waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. So let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. 
How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. Should this, as Christians, be our daily lifeblood? Like, should we not remind ourselves of this every morning? That our great Savior has already won, and the battle is over. He's already seen it all, and his immense glory is just to be treasured every second of every day as this glory is at last someday to be understood by us as we kneel at the feet of God himself, united with our Savior. Isn't this kind of our, our daily heart cry? Oh, if it, if it could be, we would have fewer bouts of depression, future, fewer bouts of discouragement. Um, shadows are cast by something standing in our way. Giants do that. And our call is to stand back from the giant and see that there's a greater light behind that object that's blocking me from seeing the beauty, seeing the bigness, seeing the power that has already worked on our behalf. So, though we still are looking ahead to the day when death will be no more, the sting of death, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, has already been removed because of what Christ has already accomplished. So, you're right on, Bethany, that we would do we would do ourselves well to do more preaching. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Christ conquered death on a Sunday morning. And so the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing, Paul says, to the glory that is to be revealed to us. But that... Um, you know full well that we can't... Um, it's not something to make light of. Pain is real, right? This world is hard. The curse is oppressive. And yet, Christ is stronger. And that's our hope. And, and we just we fight by reminding ourselves that good news has come. When we read in Isaiah 52, how lovely or how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. Um, this is the good news we've already heard about. We read about it first in Isaiah 40. Do you remember that? Go up to the mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. What are you proclaiming? Lift it up. Fear not. Say, behold your God. Say, behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And he's going to be one who's not only strong, but he's tender. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll, he'll gather his lambs in his arms and he'll carry them. This is right after comfort, comfort in Isaiah 40. Which is what the New Testament identifies with the voice of John the Baptist, remember? In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And then he says, and the one who comes after me, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandal. One of the reasons he mentions the sandal is because he's walking. He's the way of the Lord that John the Baptist has been preparing Jesus is the one who's brought this good news. He is the embodied arm of the Lord through whom God is working both His reign and His comfort. So let, let's look at that then. Yeah. And the hymn that's referred to here in 52.7, who has beautiful feet, is that a generic proclaimer of the gospel, or is that a foreshadowing of John the Baptist, or referring to Christ? Who, who is the hymn? Who's the hymn? Well, let's figure that one out. Who's the identification? What's the identification of the messenger? That, that's a great question. So, so Mark, t help us out here. What, is there anything in the text that 
maybe makes your mind turn in one way or over another regarding who's, who's actually proclaiming. That's what he's saying. Who's saying it? Well, Isaiah is saying it. Okay, he is. But we've seen many times where Isaiah the prophet has all of a sudden either taken on the persona of Yahweh himself because he's merely a mouthpiece on behalf of a greater Lord. He's the ambassador speaking on behalf of his king. Um, but then he's also, at times, taken on the very voice of the Messiah, hasn't he? So that um, he's speaking the words of the Christ in that moment. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, Isaiah 61. And Jesus is able to say, that's me. Today, this Testimony of Isaiah is fulfilled in your hearing. Brother John. Yeah, so that's helpful. That's, that's helpful. But here's, here's the thing. So you've gone through the earlier verses of Isaiah, and he's referred to uh, Jerusalem and Judah and Israel, but also to the nations and so on. And in this whole chapter, it's, it's talking to Jerusalem, but I'm wondering... What, what Jerusalem is. I mean, it's like wondering what the messenger is. I mean, Jerusalem, Judah, Israel doesn't seem to have claimed this promise the way, you know, it looks like it was intended. I'm, I'm confused about that. I mean, maybe I am. I don't, I don't know if I'm confused. So we know that Jerusalem is the bride of God who's now been cleansed and redeemed and given uh, renewed priestly status. And... For me, the lens predominantly is, well, how do the New Testament authors read these texts? And if in the next 20 minutes you don't better see, be able to identify who the Jerusalem is, then come and talk to me. But that, that is, it, that, it's huge. Who's being redeemed? Who's being set out of the prison? And... I think it's everyone who's identified with Jerusalem. And Paul's able to say in Galatians 4.25, Jerusalem that is above is our mother. And he's talking to the Galatian church. In Hebrews 12, he's able to say, we haven't come to, to a mountain, Mount Sinai, that is burning with fire. We have come to Mount Zion, O church, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We've gathered there. We've identified ourselves with her. The very bride in Revelation 21 that will come out of heaven. Come, look, I will show you the bride of God. And I went with him and I looked up and behold, Jerusalem was coming out of heaven. That Jerusalem, the city, is this embodiment of the people of God who are the bride of God in light of what Christ has done. There was another hand. Yes? The answer to Mark's question, you said, who is it Christ is John the Baptist? Is it? My answer would be yes. With all of those, don't we see too often in the Old Testament that the prophecy for the moment for now, but it also relates to us almost all. So I see that, you know, I can read that and it says I'm supposed to be about this. Okay. I agree. Let's see it now, right from the text. This is good. Number one, God says at the end of verse 6, In that day they shall know that it's I who speak. What day? The day when people are set out of prison. The day when God shows His power. They'll know that it's I who speak. And so that at least leads me to say, well, when the messenger shows up and begins to proclaim good news... Do we understand it then that this is what God is doing? He's speaking. And now we recognize it. And declaring Yahweh reigns. That it's actually coming from Yahweh declaring His great kingship over all things. And yet, 
when the watchmen hear the messenger, what they say is, verse 10, the Lord has barred, bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations. Who can remember what kinds of things does the arm of God do in Isaiah? Who, can anybody remember? We went over this a couple weeks ago. The arm is strong. Pardon? Strong to save. The arm of the Lord brings justice. What was distinctive about the arm imagery? One thing that was distinctive. It could reach out to all mankind. Did the arm have armor on it? I don't remember talking about that. He's opened it up, right? He's, he's brought it out. His, his holy arm. Here, here was the key that I'm thinking of right now. And that is that when we get to chapter 53, verse, verses 1 and 2, the arm of the Lord is identified as a person. Look at it. Who has believed what he heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men. He, the arm of the Lord, was revealed to the world. To whom has he been revealed? He was rejected. He was despised. And now the watchmen are saying when they hear, the Lord our God reigns, when they hear that, what it gives them is a testimony. The Lord has bared His arm. He's brought it out. They've identified something in the sense of a person. How about this text? I already mentioned it. Here's the, the, is this Jesus? I think it's Yahweh. Is it Jesus? Well, we already know from the book that Jesus is designated as Emmanuel. He is God with us. So, is it God? Yahweh? Yes. Is it Jesus? Yes, it can be. It can be both. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God of all things. So, he says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Good news. This is the next time good news shows up in the book. And Jesus in Luke 4 says, this was me. Isaiah was talking about me. These were my words. The Spirit of the Lord was upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to be the one who binds up the brokenhearted. Notice, I'm proclaiming liberty to the captives. Get that bond off your neck. You're not in prison anymore. I'm the one who's proclaiming such liberty. I'm the one who is... Opening the prison for those who are bound. Is this Jesus? I, I think it is Jesus. Could it be the servants of the Lord? That's, could it also refer to the church? Well, let's consider that. Before we get there, here's Jesus. And then, then we're going we're gonna to go there. Here's Jesus. This is how he talked. What does he say in our text? The messenger, your God reigns. That's kingship talk. That's why Jesus, when he talks about the good news in the New Testament, it's connected to the good news of the kingdom. Don't per we'll, we'll, we'll get here when we get to Isaiah 61. I'm going to step back and I'm going to look at all the good news texts together. But there's many in this world that want to proclaim good news, evangelization, evangelizing, euangelizo is the verb in Greek, gospelizing. That's what we do. And first level gospelizing, we call it the work of the evangelist. And they want to come and proclaim peace. They want to come and proclaim happiness. Things can go well with you. Just accept Jesus and you can have hope and health and all kinds of things. But here's the kicker. If God doesn't reign, we get no blessing. There is no gospel apart from lordship. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Take away the kingship, 
If he hasn't beaten all the enemies, we have no hope. We can't proclaim the gospel to people without proclaiming whole life surrender. It's not perfection overnight, but it's a true progression over a lifetime, and it's a new reorientation, a new redirection of our life. Jesus came proclaiming good news that's related to a kingdom, and with that, a king. Now, before I get to, is this the church, I just want to, I I just want to, this is what happened to me this week. We know this verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's in the Greek of 1 Romans 1.16. That's the exact same word that we're seeing in our text in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Isaiah is anticipating the same thing Paul's talking about. And Paul says, I'm eager to come to Rome to participate in this proclamation. Well, that's obvious. Okay, so he's, it's not only Jesus who's the proclaimer, but those who are in Jesus take on Jesus' mission of being a proclaimer of the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed to proclaim it to you. Why? Because it's power. Power of God to save. And I just want us to see that there's three tenses to salvation. By grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. You were dead. And if Jesus didn't show up and say, Lazarus, come forth, you'd still be in the tomb. But the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts and given us the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We call that regeneration and justification by faith. We are justified. We have been reconciled with God. But that's not the only level of salvation. Through the very same cross that justified us, we are being saved right now. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, that's present time. So that's why I opened with the prayer that I did. Oh God, help us. Last night just before bed, I had a sharp, negative, mean, cutting comment to my wife. I need to be saved from that. And the only place I can go, the only place where there's power from being that kind of a man is the cross of Christ, where everyone is level at the cross. All pride is put down because everybody needs a Savior. But with that, you can't keep despondency there either because there's all the hope we need is right there at the cross. The word of the cross is foolishness to the world. They don't understand it. But to us who are being saved, we can keep going back there because we know there's every morning mercy. And that tomorrow, all that I need to live a life of godliness, again, not perfect overnight, but a true progression over a lifetime, deeper awareness of my own sinfulness, deeper awareness of my need. It's been purchased for me and I go to bed at night Trusting in the one who says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you so that I will not turn from you. I will put the fear of me in your heart so that you will not turn from me. I'm not the one who is going to keep me going all the way to heaven. I am fully dependent on him. I need him to continue to save me day after day after day. But that daily salvation is not at all calling into the question that I already have been saved and that Jesus has done something definitively that is immovable and that is purchased for me an inheritance that is immovable, unshakable, and undefiled, kept in heaven for me. Past, present, since therefore we have now been justified, that's past tense salvation, how much more shall we? be saved. That's future salvation. The cross is the power of God for our future salvation. The gospel is the power that secures our future salvation. That's our hope. 
And this is, this is the good news of Isaiah. He's talking about the exact same realities that we're celebrating day in and day out. And I'm just calling us right now to pause and hear the herald of good news who's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Past, present, and future. Well, it's the spirit of Christ, right? It's the spirit of the resurrected Christ. The question was, is the messenger the Holy Spirit? And I'm saying we can't separate the spirit. It's the spirit of Yahweh now manifest through the resurrected Christ that's bringing salvation working in us. So, so remember in, in Isaiah 11, which Pastor Jason quoted this morning, it says, I will raise up from the shoot of Jesse a branch, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and he will proclaim justice and salvation. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon him like he's a movable temple, and then where, when he comes by us, all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord envelops us, and we all of a sudden become part of that temple. And not only that, that temple is therefore expanding as the presence of God is growing, and we're all of a sudden participating in the, the proclamation of the hope of the presence of God, that the King is now seated on the throne, and he is, His saving presence is on the move, and he's doing it through us. But Paul says in Galatians 3, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's, Romans, that's Galatians 3. Hearing with faith. Hearing what? Hearing the gospel. And Paul in Romans 10, how will they hear if no one tells them? How lovely on the, are the, on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. But as we go there, we're, we're moving toward this church. Who's the identification? I want us to see now, this is how I'm understanding it working. The messenger shows up, and before the messenger is anyone else, it's Jesus. Because there is no good news apart from him. Isaiah only had the anticipation of good news. He didn't get to live in the midst of it. It was all hope for him, whereas for us, it's grounded as a pastime reality. 2,000 years ago, something happened. And Jesus comes, and what does it say? Who else is present in verse 8? When the messenger shows up and proclaims, your God reigns and proclaims peace and happiness, who else is there? Who? Yahweh is there, yes. Your God reigns, but who, who do we read about in verse 8? The watchman. Anticipating, that is, recognizing their need for the deliverance, their need for the Savior, their need for good news. And all of a sudden, they hear something, they hear the good news, and it moves them to become proclaimers themselves. Notice what it says. The voice of the watchman. They hear, your God reigns, and then they lift up their voice together. They sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of Yahweh. And all of a sudden, what we have happen is that the messenger proclaims to the watchmen, plural, and the watchmen then become messengers. Or we could look at it this way. Remember how I've mentioned many times in Isaiah... 40 through 53. 20 times the word servant shows up, and it's always in the singular. But after Isaiah 53, in the rest of the book, the word servant's going to show up 11 more times, but only in the plural. The servant has a mission, and in Isaiah 53 comes... And all of a sudden, the servant, Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, he has offspring. And all of a sudden, those offspring become the servants, plural. The mission of the servant becomes the mission of the servants. Now look at how we see this referred to 
the watchman's call. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. This is cited twice in the New Testament, that that little statement. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of the Lord. Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Here he is, he's at the temple, but he recognizes this is not just for us at the temple. It's for all peoples, all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory of your, the, for, and for glory to your people Israel, to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Hope has come, light has come. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that's John the Baptist, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, that's Isaiah 40. The crooked will become straight, the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. That's what's being envisioned, a a good news that is not restricted. This is not just a testimony, as some commentators say, of the Jews coming out of Babylon. This is about a global redemption, a global salvation. There's something much more at work here. The watchmen take on the servant's mission. God raised Jesus from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up from, with him from, uh, from Galilee to Jerusalem, all of us who are now witnesses to the people. All of us, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. We have witnessed what Jesus has done, and now we become, the me- that is, the watchmen become the messengers. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. And in the context, the Lord here, whereas in Joel chapter 2, and in Zephaniah chapter 3, the Lord is Yahweh. But in Romans 10, the Lord has become the Christ. Call on Jesus. Whoever does will be saved. But how can people call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Notice what Paul does here. If, now here's a, just a small translational issue. The NIV still, even in the most recent 2011 edition, rendered Isaiah 52, verse 7, in the plural. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But in the Hebrew text, it's singular. In Romans 10, it's plural. And no one, there's no question about that. Because it's plural in Romans 10, the NIV said, well, we'll just make the singular plural in the Old Testament. But I think they're missing something. And that is that in the Old Testament, we're intentionally supposed to see that this is Jesus. And in the New Testament, the reason Paul can change it to plural is because now there's people who are in Jesus who have taken on the mission of Jesus. Isaiah 49.6 This is a servant song. It's about Jesus, and he's talking about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That same type of language is used in Isaiah 49. And he proclaims, this is what God said to me. You are Israel, my servant. That's what he calls him. So remember, we've talked about how there's a servant person and there's a servant people. You are Israel, my servant person. That's Isaiah 49.3. 49.6, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Wait, my name is Israel and my mission is to bring back Israel. 
Yes. Jesus so identifies himself with his people that he takes on their name. He is the servant person, Israel, and it's too light a thing that he would only save Israel the people. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49.6. It's very clear that we're talking about Jesus here. In Acts 26, 22 and 23, Paul tells us, I'm, I'm not telling you, Agrippa, anything than what the law of Moses and the prophets said would come to pass, that Jesus would suffer and on the third day rise from the grave, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name, that, and that he would stand as a light to the nations. Paul sees Jesus as fulfilling Isaiah 49.6. But earlier in Acts 13, he says, what Barnabas and I are doing is merely fulfilling what Isaiah 49.6 said that we were supposed to do. That we would become light and proclaim salvation to the ends of the earth. Because Paul has identified himself with the Israelite Jesus, he takes on the mission of the Israelite. Because we have identified ourselves with the one whose feet were beautiful, we now get beautiful feet and begin to proclaim his same news of hope and help to the nations. I'll stop here after this, this statement. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, who knows what that passage is about? Armor of God. When we were in Isaiah 11, we already saw that the servant, whom we know of as Jesus, who would have the Spirit of God upon him, this very servant, we're told, would have armor. It's a picture of the Messiah. The Messiah has armor. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Paul reads Isaiah's armor texts, and there's Isaiah 59, 17 is also an armor text. There it's the armor of Yahweh, bringing, as a warrior, bringing salvation to his people, and he's dressed in armor. Paul reads these texts in Isaiah that are talking about the Messiah's armor and says, we're in him, we get that same armor, same protection. Now, in our text, in Isaiah 52, it doesn't mention explicitly the, ar the, the language of armor doesn't show up. What it says is how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, proclaiming peace. And Paul, in the armor of God text, this is the, the only place that we would see anything that would be connected to it, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what happens to us. Why? Because we have stepped into the full identification with the Messiah. We are in His armor, as protected as He was, and called in the same way that He is. He is stronger, and we rest in Him. We rest in the gospel. We rest in the power of the cross. Confident in past, present, and future salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let your hearts take comfort. Be a people who preaches this good news to yourself. Just as you've been watchmen and seen the beauty, you've tasted and seen the goodness of our God reigns, that that's not something to run from. It's the only hope we have. Having experienced that, then don't hesitate. Be a person who feels obligated in light of the amazing rich love that you have received, in light of the message that you have heard, to be one who then gets your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and begin to go and share. That's our responsibility. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Wash us with your word. Encourage us with your gospel. And may the gospel motivate us in light of who Christ is to be fully in Him, identified with His mission, empowered by Him alone.
for his glory and the good of the people that you have purchased for yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at www.bcsmn.edu. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at www.jasonderoshi.com. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who reigns, saves, and satisfies through covenant for his glory in Christ.